You're listening to the Saul Good Media Podcast. Just a quick heads up, these are adult conversations and there is the possibility of adult language. Enjoy. February 4th, 2002. I was 12 years old and my dad took me to go see Joe Satriani in the Ventura Theater. And I had learned a couple of his songs because my guitar teacher, you know, showed me. So I was kind of, you know, doing solos and stuff like that. But then I saw him live do it, and it was the loudest concert to, to this day that I've ever been to. Just screeching guitar and shredding one, you know, one hand just. And um, that was the the moment I was like, "This is what I want to do. This is like I want to do that." Welcome to the Saul Good Media Podcast. Today I'm joined with my friend Nathan Town, who is currently the bassist for Blind Melon. Nathan is a huge inspiration in my own life because he's an example of someone who has decided to pursue music as a full-time career. He's taught lots of students over the years, so for any of you out there interested in learning guitar, I'll put a link to his YouTube videos in the show notes. And for those of you looking to further your knowledge even more, he also teaches Skype lessons if you don't currently live in northern Michigan. In this episode, Nathan and I talk about what it's like for him being a full-time musician, the fun parts, but also some of the challenges that come along with it. We try to uncover what it takes to actually find the motivation to practice. And we spin off on a few different tangents and talk about travel vans, which, side note, for any of you out there looking for a 1984 Volkswagen Vanagon, Nathan is selling his, so be sure to reach out to him before it's too late. Without further ado, Nathan, tell us about your very first memory. My very first memory was in a condo in uh, Torrance, California. I was like a, a baby. And my my grandma, my, on my mom's side, she's Mexican. She goes, ay, que lindo, and she picked me up. And that's, I don't remember anything after that, but I remember she picked me up out of like a crib. It's one of those weird, because they say you don't remember things until you're like five or six, but I have a vivid remem- memory of that. That's and, incredible. Yeah. It's almost a dream. It is a dream. And it, to this day, I, I can't remember a lot of high school, but I remember that. I would love to gear this ep- episode towards the music that you play. It's a big part of your life and kind of like the lifestyle that being a musician, sort of how that kind of, I'm kind of been touching on different lifestyles and the lifestyle. Yeah. What it is like to be a musician. I have uh, kind of the opposite of a, of your standard musician. I mean, because I grew up in California and everybody and their mom plays music. Everybody plays at all the gigs, the wineries, the restaurants, you know, the hotels. And it's all based on tourism, especially living on the coast. So, you know, there's those few people who go down to L.A. and be the session guys or the studio guys. And they're grinding, and they're all wearing black and black jeans, and they have tattoos, and they got the whole look. Um, but for the most part, it was very competitive playing there in uh, in California because one restaurant I played at was right on the cliffs. It's called the Cliffs. And um, how old were you at the time? I was. Early 20s. Okay. That's weird to say now that I'm in my late 20s. 
but uh like 21 to 23 4 and uh i played there regularly which was like once every month maybe twice every month because there's so many musicians and they all want to play and they rotate in and out whereas here in northern Michi michigan northern yeah. michigan yeah it i got one place i play out all summer ever you know about three or four nights a week um but that's just during the summer so during the winters i pretty much am a hermit i don't really <laughs> do much well let's talk about your last show i mean you just put on this big show at an opera house yeah let's talk about um being a musician in terms of what goes on behind the scenes besides playing so like what are some of the things that you had to do to make that show happen okay well i went in there and i i asked if they have any dates open they said yes and i gave them a cd of songs i recorded and it's just solo guitar stuff so it, i had i have about three or four hours that i can pull off at every any given time so it was just a matter of picking the best stuff and you know trying to make it in an interesting order so that it lasts for 90 minutes um so i i learned probably four pieces four new pieces for that song for that concert um and basically spent the two months before when the from the time i booked it from the time it happened i spent four months or two months working on those four songs and because the rest of them i know them like they're you know wake me up at three o'clock in the morning i can play certain songs um but the big thing was selling tickets and getting people to come and so through like the newspaper and, and online advertising and knowing you know that my girlfriend has a business right on main street like right by the opera house so she she did a, a bunch of help uh, getting the word out um but as far as getting prepared for it, it was just practicing every day you know and, and in that sense i'm fortunate to have the time not a lot of people have the time because they're working a full job or whatever maybe i'm just lazy i should get a job but no but you're dedicating a lot of the time that you have to practicing right yeah you know i mean like you said you you were um when you were telling me about it before you practice you know eight to nine hours a day that's a full-time job right there yeah, yeah it uh, takes, a, takes a lot of time. Um, but, at, you know, if, if one song, like a classical piece, is like four pages, right? So usually it'll take one full day of practice to memorize one page. And that just means you know the notes. And you're still messing up every day. So you just repeat that page top to bottom until you, you play every note as good as you can. And then you finally get to that point where I played it perfectly. I can play it perfectly every single time. And then you go to the show and you mess it up because just the nerves overwhelm you. You know, you're trying to make it interesting and then you hear someone cough. You're like, ah, you know, or you notice somebody sleeping and that happens. I fall asleep at shows like that do you take that as a compliment or do you take that as a what the heck i know i don't are you even paying attention 
hey, they paid for the ticket. If they yeah. want to pay for a nap. That's their that's their prerogative. I, it's so funny. In high school, I remember we would go to movies, and there was this one guy that just always fell asleep. It was like he'd pay to take a nap and hang out with his friends yeah. for the duration of the movie, and then. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, yeah, I mean your music, it's it's it spans a wide range of genres genres yeah i mean you're playing theme songs of shows yeah. incorporating classical and could you tell me sort of about the roots like where you got started and kind of your first well when you got involved with guitar and music in general when i was four my mom started teaching me piano because she was a piano teacher and my dad was a drummer they they both still play um but they met in music college and it's they they taught me a lot so my mom taught me piano from the time i was four till the time i started being a little crappy kid and it's like i'm not gonna practice um is that reading music as well or yeah yeah so actually you know she would teach me how to play like for elise but and everybody knows the intro but she would show me the whole thing with the two other parts um and in that sense, it was, you know, when you're six, seven, even in high school, it, it, you don't want to sit down and go through that trouble. You want to do other things. So when I was like eight, that's when I started playing guitar, and that was a lot more fun than the piano. So I stuck with that until I was about 13, and, I mean, stuck with lessons. And then I just kind of joined a band, started a band, left a band, went to another band, all these, everyone had a band. And, um, could you tell me the names of these bands? The first, very first band I played in was called the Venture Crew. And it was five of us. And we did, um, we did a cover of the darkness. You know that? I don't. The darkness. They Maybe if I heard it. I believe in a thing called love. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. So we did stuff like that. I mean, I think we only learned five songs total. But we play the shit out of them. And I don't think we lasted very long. Because we were all in Boy Scouts together. And they had this extra like caveat of elite kids who did the Venture Crew. And our thing was just the start of Venture Crew Band. But we didn't have a good name. We just came up with that. And then after that, that kind of evolved into another band called Artifice, which uh, still to this day, I I think that's the coolest band. Because um, of the name or because of the... Just because it was like my best friends and we were hanging out and they were, they were great. Um, and then that kind of changed in like my junior year and I started playing uh with a reggae band uh called Bare Feet and they they had quite a following it was interesting and they uh I played with them until about I took a break from them I I'm, my timeline screwed up but I think the last time I played with them was in 2013 or something like that. And then I started playing 
I'm just list, list. I could list off all these people I played with, but um, most recently I got to play with uh, a band that I I started with another guy, Travis Warren, was Texas Lights, and that was like the pinnacle for me because each each time I started with the band, I met somebody else and joined that other band, and then from that band, you know, I'd meet these other people and get asked to play with this band, and then so really every single person that i've met you know gave me a, a tip and so when i met travis that's when i was like okay we're gonna we're gonna dedicate everything i'm gonna come over to your house every day we're gonna record he had a studio and um you know through him that's how i met the blind melon guys and that I don't know where I'm going with this, but that's kind of a, a wide uh, spectrum of my story. You were playing guitar through most of this or different instruments yeah. along each? Bass, guitar, piano, nice. drums even. some, you know, Nice. Just a little bit of everything. It's cool to hear the transitions between, you know, starting out, you know, playing with friends. And right. I love, I mean, it really is who you know. I mean, it's really like through any job through any passion that you have you meet people and it's the most serendipitous thing to yeah. just have like these this ladder to your this underlying goal that you may have you know of right. making a living doing this being a traveling musician or just playing professionally and yeah it's now that i think about it it's it's like you said the the six degrees of separation like you know everybody um and i think it's really really cool to think back on how i can you know connect the dots you know kind of helps me keep a timeline it's not easy to see them when you're going through it but looking back yeah you know, it's a lot it yeah. makes more sense right like who who would have thought, you know, that you'd be playing with Blind Melon? So you're playing bass for these guys right now, is that right? Yeah, currently. What was the last show like? Tell me, like, take me to the setting you guys are preparing to play. The Where? last show was in Durango, uh, Colorado, which was like at a casino. Okay. Which was interesting. Because the first time I played with them was at a casino in uh, Minnesota. And that was the first time I met. Uh, it's the first time I met Rogers and Glenn, who's the guitar player and the drummer. And basically, that that was a fun fun trip. So you met them the day that you played with them, the night before. That's incredible. Well, yeah, it was it was an experience, and it happened really quick because uh, my buddy Travis gave me the call and he said, "Do you want to do this?" I said, yeah. He said, all right, the show's in two weeks. I already told him you can do it. So, you know, just be prepared, man. Be prepared. And, um, you know, it was, it was, like I said, I had a lot of time to prepare. I had the time to spend to learn all the bass parts note for note of, like, uh, the uh, the catalog. And it doesn't change. You know, there were a couple of parts that we talked about during sound check, but for the most part, they had been playing the same set for 10 years. Wow. So there a lot of, a lot of footage I could reference 
Um, but the last show was also a casino. But the night before the last show in October was in Denver, Colorado, and that was just bad of the bone. I mean, there were probably like 1,200 people there. And um, we they totally revamped the set list. They picked out all these B-sides or, you know, and uh, no, I shouldn't say B-sides, just the, the, not the hits. Not what they're typically playing. Right. And it was fun, you know, lots of fun. So, I mean, take me to the moments before you play a show. What are you feeling, whether it's playing for an audience of 250 people to 1,200 people? What are you feeling like when you're stepping on stage? Is nervous. It, yeah. Real nervous. Yeah? Yeah, because there are so many things you have to remember. And it's more than just playing it. You have to, you have to play with the other people. So if you play the, just the bass part or just the, the song that you've rehearsed it, um, it doesn't mean anything because if you're speeding up just a little bit, then it it makes the whole room wobble. So um, especially with Blind Melon, my whole focus is to just sync up with the drummer. So every time he hits the left hand on a snare, I got to be right on the money. And it, it and if I don't watch him, it's hard to do that. So watching the, the motion of his hands, it helps mm. me to get into it. Um, so for the most part, I've just been focusing on on the other players because if you play with them, it's all always going to sound better. But playing by myself um, in, a, in a concert setting where people are quiet, they clap, and then silence, that's... Mm always a lot more nerve-wracking just so many more um many more ears that are listening to every squeak you have on the guitar every little buzz and at the same time you're trying to remember not only the the parts of the song but being able to play it in a you know uh show in a performance, not just play the song, you know. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I can play in a restaurant, and people are clinking and clanking and talking, and I can get away with a lot of stuff. Um, so to answer your question, what goes in on my what goes on in my head is uh, lots of stuff, you know. Just but once you get out there, it's it's fun and it happens quick, real quick, because the next thing you know, you're playing the last song. I was like, oh, it's time to go home. So that's cool to hear the different avenue, like different venues and how that changes it. But I think that a lot of people don't realize, and somebody as talented as you, I think it's kind of just humbling to hear that you still get nervous. You know, you could be practicing so much and it's still nerve wracking to get in front of an audience. It's well, yeah, because not, everybody is a critic. It doesn't matter if you're, uh, you know, Stevie Ray Vaughan or some huge iconic name. Uh, you know, people have something to say. And, you know, for the most part, nobody's going to come up to you and say anything negative. But, you know, word gets around. I mean, it's funny. As humans, I feel like we're so quick to judge and we're so... We can pick out that 
one tiny squeak when you played 90 minutes of perfect like the rest of it you know what i mean like yeah it's just funny i don't know what it is that it's a it's a it's a part jealousy thing and and i i get that way too i'm i'm a total uh when i go to a show i i can't dance you know and that's not to say that i don't but i'm more there to watch and see the performance of it um and yeah i get kind of critical i get I get Jones in the get if if I'm watching a, a rock and roll band, I get Jones in the like man I want to be up there I want to be playing so. I always get super inspired when I go see people play like seeing you play, just may it makes me want to practice more and it makes me feel like oh yes like that's possible and showing leading by example of what's possible is something that I've kind of been talking a lot about on the podcast is instead of telling people, you know, you should practice or you should do this, let me just show you what's possible through my own experiences. Yeah. And I think that that's why I reached out to you in the first place to ask for your help in terms of learning. You know, you've helped me kind of learn a little bit of the theory behind guitar and just music in general. And Really, I think that's why anybody pursues anything is because they find some inspiration there. They see that light of, wow, that's possible. Yeah. If I, and that's kind of like, what is the driving force for you when you're practicing? Well, I, when I was a kid learning, I, it was frustrating. I didn't like doing it. I used to lean my head on the guitar during lessons and, and be bored because I didn't see, I didn't see someone do it. You know, someone can show you records and, and videos all blue in the face, but until you see someone in person, like for me, it was February 4th, 2002. I was 12 years old, and my dad took me to go see Joe Satriani in the Ventura Theater. And I had learned a couple of his songs because my guitar teacher, you know, showed me. So I was kind of, you know, doing solos and stuff like that. But then I saw him live do it and it was the loudest concert to to this day that I've ever been to. Just screeching guitar and shredding one, you know, one hand just and um that was the the moment I was like this is what I want to do. This is like I want to do that. And he just just simple things like spreading your fingers out for five frets versus four frets. It was like, wow, I've never seen anybody do that. So that's when I really got into learning how to play guitar. And tell us about the foreign exchange student that you had stay with you. How did that oh, yeah. impact your life? Um, he brought a guitar. What was his name? His name was, his name is Tatsuya Hijikata. And, um, he uh, he came when he was about 16. What was he coming to just stay for? Came from Japan uh, on a foreign exchange student program. And he came and stayed with my family, brought a guitar. And he was there for two weeks. Didn't let me touch his guitar. I asked and I and I was like, I really want to play his guitar. So for the, finally, like the last day, he let me play it. And I just went splunk. And he's like, okay. And he took it back. Um, but I would have done the same thing looking back. So shortly after my dad got me a little miniature 
acoustic guitar and that's when I started learning but that was probably when I was eight or nine and it wasn't until like three years later that I really wanted to pursue it like do it every day all all day long um but I still keep in contact with Tatsuya here and there nice so what is he doing these days he's living in Japan he married wow you know got kids um it's been a few years since he he did come visit a few times but uh it's been a been a while has he heard you play since yeah no like yeah i mean we we talk on facebook Mm -hmm. every once in a while and uh you know i post stuff and he likes it so for those of you listening out there i'll put a link in the description for nathan's instagram but he's constantly posting all these incredible it's the future yeah i mean it is the future really i was i was admiring some of those videos today kind of sifting through them and oh thanks yeah man like they're incredible it's really cool i just like what you've done with it and thanks man yeah there's lots more to come i'm sure yeah i'm trying to you know because it only lasts for one minute and that's perfect amount of time but it's just short enough to where i if I if there is a whole phrase of a song or even a complete verse of a song, I either got to speed it up or, you know, there's no hope and I just let it cut off. Yeah. Because a lot of people don't, you know, they don't watch things that are over two minutes anyway. So if I go up there and do the Bach Chacon and it takes 13, 14 minutes, super fun to play, uh, but people are going to not watch it anyway. So that's, that's, I kind of look at it as like advertisement for a show. So if I put a one minute thing up and if I advertise a show so people can come watch the entire song. I think so. you're around to something. I mean, we all have such short attention spans these days. Yeah. I'm silly to think that anyone's going to spend an hour listening to my podcast, but I feel like I, I'm doing it for me and I'm not doing it for anybody else. And I think that's kind of what you have to do when you find something that you love because really when you're practicing on a daily basis, you're not doing it really for anybody else. I think you, you have to find what you love inside of that. And so what is it that keeps your attention on music in this day and age with our attention spans being so low? What is that for you? It's something I do now. Like I rely on it. This is how I make money. And it has been for the last four years. So now that I've, went out and made purchases that I put on a credit card. I got to pay for those. Um, some of those being like, I got a Bose speaker system, something it's an investment, you know, uh, I've got way too many guitars and a, a lot of it is the downtime. Okay. I've got a lot of downtime during the winter. I have a couple gigs here and there and they're like bar gigs where I sing songs and whatnot not my cup of tea but i do it because they pay a couple hundred bucks a night but when i play like at the restaurant and i do solo guitar if i don't practice all all winter and then i show up the first two weeks of me being there is going to be just getting the crap out getting the crud out of my fingers so it's important to stay practice so when i start that gig again uh, or hopefully start uh, doing more concerts. Uh, you know, I just want to be 
I don't want to suck. <laughs> and that's a big, big fear. I think that's an interesting thing just about to say about life because I was doing video for a long time as a side hobby. And I noticed when I wasn't doing it that I would just lose all faith in the fact that I would be able to shoot a video. So I had to consistently produce a video to just give myself that confidence that I can do this. Yeah. And and if I don't, then I'm just going to kind of lose it. And so I've been inspired by people that find that that passion for them because it's a never ending learning curve. It really is just, you're never going to be like, Oh, I've learned it. I'm good now. Right. Exactly. And you know, I know exactly what you're talking about because there are to this day songs that I, I've spent, I don't know, months learning literally just hours and hours and hours. And I, well, I got it. And then two years later, oh, I'm doing a show at the Opera House. I want to do this magnificent piece. And I can't remember it. So I didn't get to play it. Tell me about how um, reading music transformed and, and how you learned to read music. Because as a guitar player myself and going to school for guitar for a year, I really struggled with, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to memorize this piece instead of actually learning how to read music. And that was pretty detrimental over the long term for me because, you know, it's funny to think that there's this parallel of like, if you're going to actually learn how to read a book, you're not going to memorize that book and then pick up the book and pretend like you know how to read. Right. That's silly. If you learn how to read, then you could read any book. So how has, uh, how did you develop that? skill of learning how to read and how has that changed your ability to play music um when i was it must have been 2015 i was encouraged to to uh, send a an audition tape for the christopher parkening guitar competition and the requirements were you had to play three pre-selected songs and one song of your choice and one of them was the Baksha Cone. And the other one was, um, it's called Ala Cubana, a William Walton song, a very uh, bizarre song. And then there was a really bizarre song called uh, Fandango by Rodrigo. And it's just really dissonant. So the only one I really kept an eye on was uh, Chacon. But all these songs I'd never heard of, never played, but I was, you know, I wanted to do it because before that happened, I didn't have a classical guitar. So kind of my plan was like, I'll, I'll learn how to play these songs and show this guy who has this guitar. That, the one you currently have? The one I currently have. The one have, you brought? The one I brought, yeah. He, uh, long story short is I didn't, I didn't make it in the competition. You know, that you're talking about world-class classical guitar players who, ev- you know, everything they got down perfect. I'm a little bit more sloppy. But that that was my first time I really sat down to read stuff on the guitar. I can read one or two notes, uh, and I always have been able to, to do that. But guitar is different because you have only one 
place to write a C, like a high C. But you've got four or five different places on the guitar to play it. Mm -hmm. So you have to interpret, okay, if that's that C and I got five different places to play it, where do I do it? You know? Um, so I think reading music has definitely helped me in just being able to expand my repertoire exponentially because I used to just do everything by ear and I'd get close where as, you know, you can buy a subscription to ultimateguitar.com and they give you all the tabs you want or you go to free-scores.com and all the notation is free. I didn't know that. That's awesome. Yeah. I'm definitely putting that in the show notes for yeah. people that are interested. And they've just got a whole catalog of classical. Uh, I mean, obviously they're not going to have like uh, Black Hole Sun or nothing. Okay. Um, but the classical pieces are all there and they're free. And so I would just pick a song. Either it would be a a song I've known, you know, I've heard before, or a piano piece that's been transcribed. So I can I can read the music and still know what it's supposed to sound like. And I did that, and I still do that with familiar songs, but it, the more I do that, the more I'm encouraged to pick a song I've never heard before. There is no recording of, there's just a piece of music. And so for that, it's like you can interpret it however you want. Um. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I I think it's so amazing because with music there's timing, and with reading, everybody reads at a different speed. They read in a different way. Some people sub vocalize in their head. They read aloud in their mind. Some people just read, and I'm talking about reading a book, right? Just in English, left to right, and so the pacing is going to be different. Whereas music, there is a specified tempo of how you're supposed to read this. Right. And that's crazy to me. I mean, it's something that I've never understood. It's something that I would love to learn. And hopefully with more lessons with you, I'll yeah. eventually get it. But Well, it's it's just whittling it down. So I think I told you my old guitar teacher would take a piece of music and he'd say, okay, play it. And I'd play as far as I could, maybe just the first measure, and I'd mess up. And he'd say... Okay, next song, and he'd pull that piece of paper away and put a new piece of paper in. And he would keep doing that. You know, and I'd play until I messed up. And I'd do it again, play until I messed up, play until I messed up. And then eventually, over weeks and months, that one, the one measure turned into a full line, you know, of a brand new piece of song. Um, and then instead of doing one note at a time, it would be intervals mixed with single notes and then chords and then rests and chords and and accidentals and you know you just it takes time because it, anybody can grab a guitar and just be natural and be good at it but the art of reading music is it takes a lot of time and a lot of repetition and even to this day when i read a brand new piece of music i go at a snail's pace I mean, really slow. And that's why it takes all day before I memorize the notes. And then I have to spend weeks trying to refine it. Um, 
So, I mean, people, so people that are listening that are interested in learning how to read music and how to play at a higher level that they're currently at, what do you recommend? I mean, what is it that's going to keep you playing? Because we were laughing about that in an earlier conversation that we had that, you know, I was so motivated the first time we sat down together (laughs) and, you know, I was like, yes, I'm going to, I'm going to learn this. I'm going to practice. And you're like, just do me, just do me one favor. Just, just practice. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, I got you. I'm practicing, (laughs) you know, you know, I'll practice. Mm -hmm. And then like, lo and behold, I haven't practiced more than a day since I've seen you. And that was months ago. Yeah. That was last summer. Yeah. I I mean, there's something to say for, if you shouldn't necessarily push yourself in a direction that you're not comfortable in going, but if you're, I think there's this barrier, this hump that you have to get over before you start enjoying it. And that's with pretty much learning anything. It's not comfortable learning a new language. It's not comfortable doing something that you've never done before, but you have to, you have to put in the time if you want to do that. So like what there's no, there's no trick that I know of yeah. that I can verbalize over a microphone. Um, it's, you just have to have a sort of a drive to do it and a reason to do it. And for me, you know, I always know the space is our face or every good boy does fine. That's how you read the staff mm. and the treble clef. Um, and so I could pick out notes forever, but it wasn't until someone said, "Oh, there's this competition, and if you if you win, you know, ten grand, and you get a basically a career handed to you." I was like, "Well, okay," and I had the time. It was like three, four months before this audition was, you know, you had to send it in. And on top of that, it cost a hundred bucks to just to enter the competition. So I was like, "Well, I'm not going to spend a hundred dollars to half asses." Um, so I think, yeah, you need a reason to. And if, if it's as petty as, oh, you know, I got to make my hundred bucks worth it. Cause I'm going to, they're going to pick me out of the entire world. I mean, it was a global guitar competition. Mm-hmm. So I was a little naive to think my first shot at a dream. class. Yeah. It's good to dream. So that was a very, I mean, also you got to find, you can't just read music for the sake of reading music there is bad music there is classical beautiful you know beautifully written music that just sounds like crap and so you gotta listen to things that you like listen to things that challenge you or excite you and for me it's like i'm getting into this guy named augustine barrios and he's from paraguay and he's just this monster guitar player long dead but uh i played a couple of his pieces at the concert and to me they're they're the most beautiful guitar pieces ever written so once i heard those songs and i was inspired that's what made me want to learn those songs and the only way to learn them is by reading the notes they don't make tabs for those um but yeah it's it's important to know everything in whatever goal whatever profession you're going for. So for me, music, it's like, well, might as well know how to read. It's one more thing that I can say, oh, I know how to do. 
I mean, I just, I haven't made this many parallels to reading English in terms of reading music ever, but I'm here just hearing you talk about it. It just makes so much sense because there's different authors and they all have their own tone of voice and you're going to be interested in one type of work. One is maybe going to be geared towards a completely different thing. Maybe it's fantasy or it's fiction. Mm-hmm. And with music, there's all these different genres of music. And to think that, you know, it's one thing, right? It's, it's really, it's so vast. Yeah. And it's like, that's a good way to put it. I mean, I used to think I just didn't like reading books. Right? And it's like, no, I just never read anything that I was like, I can't put this book down. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until like after high school, I there were a couple books in high school they gave us to read that were really good. But I just remember reading like Jane Eyre or uh, whatever standard curriculum they make high schoolers read and i was just this is the worst it's the worst it's not teaching me anything except discouraging me from reading this book it's interesting i wonder yeah like i know that there's a lot of underlying lessons to a lot of the literature that they have us read throughout school but it is funny to think that somebody's choosing that and it's going viral in terms of what we Oh yeah. What we consume as young children and brainwashing, you know, what, I mean, we don't have to get too deep into this, but you know, it's, it's an interesting subject because to think that like you have to listen to this type of music and you're, and you're, everybody's got to listen to this type of music and you know, that's just the way it is. There's things about this music that are important. You have to learn this, but once you get in the real world, you get to choose what you listen to and Mm -hmm. it really takes a lot of sifting and sorting and, some people learn how to play and some people love to listen and they just use that in their own way. And yeah. I don't know. It's an interesting, I like that. I like that a lot, making that parallel because it helps me understand. Yeah. You know, just how to comprehend it a little bit more. Yeah. Well, that does get me thinking about what the government's trying to get our kids to think. I wanted to touch on, you talked about it earlier, just how, music has become the way that you make money. Yeah. And do you feel like now that you're making money doing this, that it puts pressure on your craft and you're not able to do it as freely as you would if you weren't doing it? You know, it's like, no, 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 there's really not a whole lot. That's bad about being a full-time musician. Um, Although I am, I'm a lot more fortunate in the last year because, or the last two years, because being able to get a regular time, a regular gig, and then, you know, being asked to play with Blind Melon, uh, that, that doesn't really happen to a lot of people. So I, I realize the, uh, the luck in it all, um, Granted, it's it's all new. Every every year is new for me, you know. So I'm hoping this year I'll get to create some different type of music with some different people, and hopefully the next year something else happens. It's cool to hear just how 
much freedom you do have, but with that freedom really brings on a lot of responsibility because you could choose not to practice. You could just spend the day watching Netflix and just doing anything that you wanted to do. And I think it just, it just takes some dedication and drive. You know, people are like, ah, you know, I wish I worked for myself. Okay, cool. You know, now you're doing that. You're waking up every day and you're holding yourself accountable right. to the decisions that you make. And you got to pay your own taxes. You got to pay your own taxes. You got to figure out how to make things work when they're not working out. Yeah. It's on you now. Exactly. Which is a big wake up call to a lot of people, I think. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like there's this dream that you have and then there's the reality of that dream. And. You don't necessarily know what you're asking for once you, you know, it's like, oh yeah, that'd be sweet to go travel and play with a musician with a band full time. But then when you're doing that, there's got to be a daily grind to that. You're staying up late, you're getting up, you're in the car all the time. Yeah. And honestly, have, I haven't experienced that yet. Mm -hmm. It's, uh, I don't know what it's like, so I can't speak to that either, but I just think that it's different than what a lot of people th think. Yeah, they show up to the show and it's this awesome thing, and then oh yeah, they leave. Yeah, the show is great. I mean, the show when the shows are great. I just feel just the waiting is the hardest part. And you're right. It's like during that time, there's a lot of things I could get distracted with. And during that time, if you do get distracted, and you have to ask yourself, well, do I have to get a real job? Because I'm not making money right now. And that every everybody works for themselves go through that. I bought a Vanagon for eight grand, like one of those Volkswagens. And long story short is I put another eight grand into it. And now it's cherry. So if anybody's listening and wants to buy a Vanagon, now mine's for sale. So tell us about it. Okay. What did you soup it up with? Well, it's all stock, but it's got a Re, uh, rebuilt engine 1984 Volkswagen Vanagon GL with the camper it's got a stove got a sink got a bed a brand new stereo system in there it's got the pop top um, got an awning in a three-tone blue I've been talking with uh, my girlfriend Lindsay about converting a Sprinter van and there are so many YouTube videos just about how to convert a Sprinter van, and we've just been watching so many of them, and it's so fun to follow the couples or people, individuals, that they'll just travel around in their van, and that's their lifestyle. Yeah. And I feel like I would love to embrace that lifestyle for, I want to take this show on the road. Dude. It'd be sweet. I'll Once the snow melts, I'll, I'll bring it out, and I'll let you drive it around. Sounds it's great. It's badass, because it's a stick shift. And I don't know how to drive a stick shift, so that might be the the learning curve, right? No, you. It's. I'll teach you. It's the way I think about driving stick is like driving a bike or riding a bike with gears, right? So if you are on your bike and you put your feet up and you don't pedal, you're gonna fall over and you're gonna stall. Essentially, that's what stalling is in a car. Whereas, you know, when you when you put your foot on the clutch, that's when your foot's on the ground. You see okay. what I'm saying? Yeah. So when you give it gas and you let off the clutch, you're picking your foot up off the ground. And, you know, so you 
once you release the clutch all the way, you're, you got the gas going. Okay, now it's time to switch gears. So you gotta stop pedaling or stop giving it gas and put your foot on the ground again, shift. And so that it's easy, especially in that thing. It's, a, it's, it's, a, it's not a slow car, it's a fast house. So it's really easy to learn. It's really cool to hear you describe something in terms of learning because I feel like with whether it's music or learning all, just in general, it's so amazing what a preface will do to say this is easy. This is going to be easy for you to learn. You're going to get this. And then to teach in that regard where if somebody is maybe kind of pompous and they're like, you know, this is really hard to get where I am. You know, I've been working on this for years. I don't, and I don't think anybody says that, but I think some people maybe have this attitude that, you know, I'm special because I've put in the time and I'm this, I'm here because of the work that I've done. And just, I don't know, with something like stiff shifts, it's like, where do we hit that threshold where we're going to stop learning you know, it's like, oh, you know, I didn't get it the first couple times that I tried. So now I'm going to never try again. And now I'm just, you know, I failed at that. I don't know how to drive a stick. I'll never know. Whereas I think that's, I mean, that's a huge thing that you're going to come up against if you're trying to learn an instrument or you're trying to learn something new is there's going to be these, like, you're going to stall out. You're going to, you're going to hear this loud grinding sound that doesn't sound good. And how many times, like, when do you decide to stop trying? And I talked about that in a, in a more recent episode of, is that what failure is? Is it when you stop trying? Yeah. You know, I don't know, but that's just a question, you know, and, right. and just, I just appreciate your approach to that. And I think, well, I, people I, might listen to this. They might now know how to drive a stick shift. Who knows? I, I appreciate your appreciation. I, I appreciate you appreciating me, appreciating you. <laughs> oh, much appreciated. Um, I feel like, you know, to touch on what you said about people teaching and being pompous and whatnot. Because um, I, I taught music in a, like a store, a couple stores. And I probably total had like 60 individuals, maybe more, who I taught. And... uh I guess at first I kind of had that that feeling like I'm gonna show you this cool thing. Watch me do it. Now you do it, and it didn't work. And then once I started gigging out at the same time as I was teaching, you know, because from all the good performances I've had and, and the the good feedback I've had, there have been times where I've been asked to stop playing, or or uh, you know a gig didn't go very well or I broke a string, or got kicked out for one stupid reason or the other. And it's it doesn't matter how good you are if, if you can't keep the relationship with a venue owner or a, even a, a student, you're going to lose that business. And that's what this is. It's a business. Like it, It's a cool business, and I get to play music and do fun things, but it's it's business. And uh, it's it's a grueling business sometimes. I mean, the ease comes from learning both sides of it. You you could be an incredible musician, and all you do is you play at home, and you don't actually 
And people label you as like, oh, that's a guy, you know, he's good, but he just, you know, just hangs out at home. And there's just other side of it where then you, it, it just, it, it's hard to, to talk about yourself. I find it difficult to say, you guys, everybody listening to this podcast is fucking awesome. Yeah. You know, you, you're going to love it. Right. I'm never going to do that. And you kind of have to do that if you want to just get exposure and you want people to listen to it yeah. and you want to be heard. And it's, there's this weird like boundary. Some people love doing it. Some people are really good at it. Yeah. And they're ri Some people are so good at it and they don't have the skills to back it up, but they're the ones that are out there doing it. Oh uh, yeah. And it's just like, wow, you're doing that. I could do that. Right. How are you even doing that right now? Yeah. I, I know exactly what you're talking about. There's a, a very strong sense of self, uh, self-awareness in people who are good at something and don't do it. You know, they don't do it out in public. It's like someone is good at playing music or, uh, you know, writing or whatever it is. If you're good at something and you don't do it, you're very self-aware, you're very self-conscious about how people will think about you but working for yourself you're the only person you have to blame so you gotta you have to advertise for yourself you have to be the first one to write a bio about yourself because no one's going to do that no one is going to sit down and write you a beautiful biography that you can put on your website that you can you know put on posters you have to do that to make it seem like Oh, people are talking and that's that's the curse of being this young it's like i'm at i've have some accomplishments but it's nothing and i'm hoping to live at least another 27 years so doing a podcast with you today is like i'm trying to talk like you know like oh i've been this done and really i haven't really done much you know it's like okay we'll do this again in 20 years when I've done something and hopefully I have something more interesting to say. You know what I'm saying? If I could interject though, I mean, you have accomplished things and I think it's important to look at where we were and where we've, where we've gotten. And like you're, you're playing bass for blind melon. That's, that just blows my mind. It blows my mind too. Yeah. But to think that like, then you reach that threshold and now there's this another threshold we just want to keep driving for more. So, I mean, I know that you're going to tenfold what you've accomplished thus far. And I hear what you're saying. I think I, like, I understand what you're talking about. Yeah. It just, it feels weird to talk about yourself and all that you yeah. do. And you're just like, well, I'm not exactly 16, but I'm not exactly 45. <laughs> I, I'm in that, uh, my friend Lawrence, he said, uh, yeah, when you're at this stage in life, mid twenties, late 30s people say oh what are you up to i'm going to work yeah because nothing's going on you're in that long walk in the desert and uh hopefully you make it out to tell about it but that's where i feel like i'm at i'm at that long walk in the desert where i'm working on something but i, I got a long way to go so what's the dream then i want to own my own studio my own my own building where i can have a big beautiful piano all my guitars and amps set up uh microphones and all, the whole nine yards i want to have that on a big piece of property and that's you know 
I'm pretty much a hermit now, but I got neighbors and God bless them. Uh, but I, I would like to have some seclusion in the, in the sense of, you know, I have my girlfriend and my dogs and chickens and whatnot, but have this oasis I can go and just make music. And obviously it would be great to make a hit song and, and travel off that because why not? As far as the goal of things that, things that I want, that's one thing I want. Like a studio and a house on a big piece of property. That's beautiful. I think that's a great goal. Yeah. But as far as, you know, goal, other goals, I, I, I'm achieving the goals that I want to do as a career, you know, then that doesn't really amount to things. That just amounts to what did you do, you know? Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm doing cool things and I hope to do more cool things in the next few years. So that the thing, the physical things, uh, materialize. And what you're describing is something that's very attainable. I mean, that is a realistic, and I don't think that we need to be realistic with our dreams. I don't think that's the case in any way, but to think that you have a house, you have guitars, you have a piano, you have nice sound system, you have these things and you have the time and you like, you have space. Like you said, you have neighbors, but in a way you can almost live your dream on a daily basis. Right. To some extent. Oh yeah. You know, and it's like, it's only going to get better with time. And the more that that gets crystallized in your mind and the more that you live, live the contrast to create more of what you want based Mm. on figuring out what you don't like. And, um, I don't know. It's just, it's cool to hear that. Like you have, You've made it to some extent. Like you, you're living your dream. A lot of people could say, you know, I love playing guitar. I don't have any time. You know, I have to do this other thing. Uh-huh. I have to do this day job. I have to work this job to then, you know, work on the side. And I don't know. I, I just think it's incredible. And I, I think that it wouldn't, you inspire me and hopefully inspire the rest of the people listening that like, you know, this is a possible thing. It's a possibility to do this. Yeah. It's not a far-fetched dream. This is actually possible. Yeah, it's possible. I mean, you're not going to... My Ferrari's in the shop. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, I agree. I mean, living in northern Michigan makes playing at a quote-unquote professional level where, for the most part, I play at restaurants, weddings, bars. You know, I, I do that kind of thing. But I'm able to do it on such a regular basis that it's like having a full-time job. And the time put into preparing for that kind of stuff makes it an overtime job. So it's very doable, but you got to do it. You know what I mean? I hear you. But like you doing a podcast, I mean, starting from the ground up, that's, you're doing it. Starting from the bottom. Yeah. And now we're here. And I, and I hope that this continues so that you, you will show them too. Like it can be done, whatever it is. Well, and that's the thing is it's a daily practice. Like I just enjoy it. You know, it's like, okay, I've made a million dollars. I can do anything I want to do. Honestly, I would love to be sitting here having a conversation with you. And I think it's once you take money out of the equation and you think about what it is that you want to be doing, the money is just a more of a, it just allows you to do more of what you want to do. 
And I'm a very social person. I love talking with people. I love kind of uncovering why the big, you know, the big why. Why are you doing what you do? Yeah. Why do you like it? Why do you even play music in the first place? What are the things? Why am I even doing this podcast? <laughs> I think a big part of it is just because it's like you find the things that you love to do and then you try and do that on a daily basis. And there's never like a thing where you're like, I'm done. I've done it. Like Elton John, he just he decided to stop touring. And then what? What are you going to do? Yeah, but it's because you're inspired by other things. You're pursuing another path. Yeah. I don't know. That's true. But And so I guess we kind of touched on it, but success is is subjective. And what success means to you is going to be different from what success means to me. Mm. And if success is having a, a property that you can play music and you've got, you know, a relaxed life. I just, I was questioning that the other day. I was like, yeah, I want to travel. I want to play music. I want to be a traveling musician. Perfect. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do that someday. But then think about, okay, I'm going to wake up. I'm going to be in a new place. I'm going to have to figure out where I'm going to eat. I'm going to have to maybe load up on more water for my van. Then I got to like do the next thing. It's like, it's a never ending thing. So what's the daily life look like? Well, you know, like I want to be relaxed. I don't want to be super stressed out all the time. I want to have time to spend time with family and friends. It's like, holy shit, I can do that today. It's it's not so far fetched anymore. It's like, oh, I can really like, I could call anybody up. I can spend time with them. There's not these huge financial burdens over my head. Thank God, knock on wood. Yeah, You know, it's like, we've got it pretty good. And I think a lot of us have it better than we think. Not to say that our lives are better than the other people listening. Like, I'd, I'd challenge everybody listening to just take, take a second. Like, think about where you're sitting right now or driving. You've got a car you're driving in. You've got the ability to listen to this. Like, that's pretty incredible. To just have like the ability to listen to something. Oh yeah. So I I posted on Facebook a bunch of different questions or uh, the question, what's the best question? I don't know if you sifted through it. I tagged oh, yeah, you yeah. in it. Yeah. No, I, I looked through it. But the top question that I got, do you know what it is? Did no. you already? You mean the top of the top or the, the top of the top, the cream of the crop? All right, let's hear it. This is from Tyler. Tyler. Do porcupines dream of being hugged? Oh man! Well, they must dream. They they must dream of something. Um, you know, I I never actually seen a porcupine, but I can think of other animals like my dog. My dog doesn't hug. My dog, you know, licks her crotch. So I got to put myself in her shoes. Do do I dream of doing a dog thing? And I don't want to say no. But yeah, I mean, what, what if they were to hug in real life, what would that even look like? It's hard to imagine them dreaming that if I can't picture it in real life. Yeah, I mean, there's really few people I enjoy hugging. Really? Well, yeah. I mean, it's funny. Like, I'll go for hugs sometimes for people, and you're just like, "Whoa, I can tell this is not going to happen." I don't know. Hugging is a very like. 
It's just different for everybody. Well, there. Well, it is different because you, you hug a tall person. Do you put your head to the right or do you put your head to the left? Or does it happen so fast that you end up putting your face in their armpit? And are you getting like mostly chest or are they kind of like concave? Right. Are you getting kind of like bucked or are you kind of like embraced by this? Yeah. Is it too tight? Too soft? Sometimes it's too soft. It's like, is this real? <laughs> the, the virgin hug you don't touch but you got your arms around so you're a porcupine and you're asleep do you dream of being hugged or no i would say no okay yeah all right i'm glad that we got that covered because we had a lot of people wondering about that so <laughs> porcupines do not dream of being hugged no, no all right if you know one thing for sure what is that one thing that's from uh my cousin is ian ian if there's one thing I know, it's that I don't know anything. Jeez, these are so deep to have an off-the-cuff question or off-the-cuff answer. I know what I like. That's one thing I do No, I know what I like. What do you like? I'll know it if I see it. Okay. I wonder what it is. Is it a feeling? How do you know what you like? How do I know what I like? Because I'm drawn to it. I don't want it to end. Um, I don't find excuses to do something else or experience something else. Something that I heard recently is that like being busy is a choice and that's a decision that we make. And, and I used to say to a lot of people, I'm sorry, I'm busy. But to know that that is choosing to be busy over whatever it is that they were asking me to do or like... I don't know. It took me a while to like grasp that and to really dive into that of like, no, I'm not choosing to be busy. I'd have things I need to do. Sorry. Like I can't do that. Right. But if I really wanted to do that, there's no question I would be doing that. And I guess I'm going to have to start thinking about that with practicing music. It's like, am I busy or am I deciding that I'm just scared of the next level? You know? Afraid of failure, afraid of just messing up. Yeah. Gotta mess up. Gotta learn. Yeah. You got, you're not human if you don't fuck up. You heard it from the man. <laughs> you ain't human if you ain't fucking up. So I guess this is a two part question. This is from my, my aunt Emmy. Okay. How would your best friend describe you? Asshole. <laughs> That's how I know he's my best friend. So who's your best friend? That was my second part. <clears throat> I I have some of the best friends in the world, and I'm not going to choose one, but they know who they are. Nice. Um, and I, I couldn't choose if I tried. So, but they Total were, asshole. Yeah, yeah, or something along those lines. It's funny the language that we use with each other. Obviously, you're not saying that your best friend thinks you're an asshole. Sometimes, Me? I mean, sometimes for real, yeah, totally. Yeah, I mean, I guess you're most you're most yourself. You're able to be yourself around that person. You're not afraid. You're not just trying to like. You're not trying to make them happy. Right. Well, some some of my best friends. I'm sure anybody with the best friend can realize like you've been there for good and bad, and, and it's like. You know all the bad, and you're like, well, you're an asshole for that. 
but then you're there for the good and you're like, oh, you asshole. That's funny. <laughs> All right. Um, so you had a lot tying for sixth. So we're just going to do them all. Do this one doesn't really make sense for you. Uh, but when do I get to see Solomon again? When do I get to see Solomon again? The question is, when do I get to see Solomon again? That's the question. So however we want to interpret that. Oh. Uh, I don't know if that's directed towards you. Okay, well, I'll answer. When do I get to see Solomon <laughs> again? I get to see Solomon not as often as I'd like to, but just enough so I don't get sick of you. Perfect. <laughs> and for anybody listening, I mean, reach out. I would love to hear from you. I'd love to see you. I. He's looking at me while he says this, too. Yes. <laughs> yep. <laughs> this is directed towards Nathan and the rest of the world, but um, that was from Zach in Marquette. Thanks, Zach, for that question. Thanks, everybody, for these questions. Really, they're all super thought-provoking. I'm sorry they didn't all make it on. I'm sure most of them will make it on future shows. I've got them all printed out, and I just appreciate the community reaching out. I, I'm I'm just really thankful, so thank you guys for voting on these questions and for, for posting in them. This uh, is from a good friend of mine, Trevor, and he actually, we have a, a group chat that, I, that we created Okay. Some good friends back home. It's called the Fort, okay. because we used to always hang out in my friend Jordan's like backyard. That him and his dad built this tree fort, a little tree fort. It was kind of on the ground, but a little off the ground. Not in a tree, but okay. And we would just hang out there all the time. We called the Fort P H O R T. Okay, Fort. Fort. Right. Yeah, and uh, Trevor texted everybody in that group. He's like you know vote mine up vote mine up <laughs> gotta get this one on and it and it tied so it's it's in there all right do you even lift do i even lift oh god yeah i lift i lift things all the time all the time but no i don't i don't think i've been to a gym i don't think i've been on a weight set i can't tell you how long I, I, to me that you're just destroying your body. <laughs> I mean, it's an interesting thing because like I have a gym membership, right? I enjoy working out. It feels good. Yeah. I think a lot of people just have different practices when they go to the gym. My friend Trevor, he has definitely like dedicated himself to going. He's made significant progress and he's posting videos on like how much he can lift. Right. And it's incredible. And I think it's going to be different for everybody. Well, for me, I don't see the practical application of lifting certain things like a bar. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I may be wrong. I'm wrong about a lot of things. But I think there are plenty of ways to stay healthy and fit strong without uh, modifying your body by a dead you know, dead weights or whatever you call them, free weights. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've seen the meatheads who, who lift and uh, I don't know, Trevor, uh, you know, more power to him literally. But I think, I think people who lift can get the same type of exercise and the same, same kind of strength doing other activities like swimming or, you know, just, moving stuff like gardening and moving dirt you know i hear you 
Yeah. Well, thanks, Trevor. Thanks for the. Yeah. Thanks, Trevor. Thanks for the question. <laughs> um, this one is coming from my friend Steve. I recently met Steve when I was doing a 30-day yoga challenge at Yoga Roots. What are you most thankful for, and what does money mean to you? That's a very yoga question. What am I thankful for? I am thankful for the time that I have uh, available to give, you know, because when I'm, when I'm, I feel good when, when I can help somebody, like if I can do something while somebody else is busy and they need me to do something, you know, it feels good to do stuff like that. Um, I don't know. I'm thankful for a lot of things. Thankful for you taking the time, you know. These are very, very good questions, except for the, the lift question. Especially thank you to you, Trevor. Yeah. Thank Real you. Real big thanks. <laughs> so, and then the second part to that was, what does money mean to you? Money is tangible religion. Money is, you know, you work harder, you get more. You know, you you, you save the money you have. And you can do it. I don't know. More money, more problems. And I find that all the time. It's like I got money. You know, I I should save it. But then I got stuff I got to pay for. You know, it's like you said, you want that lifestyle. And, or you want that perception of a lifestyle. So you buy things. You buy, you know. Before I came here, I took everything I could to not go buy these boots that I wanted. Uh, but then I went and tried them on, and I was like, well, these are lame. I just don't have the right jeans for them kind of boots. You got to get the jeans, then you got to get the coat to match the jeans. Exactly. You got to get the hairstyle, the beard. Yeah, and then I get out of my dirty car, and what's it all mean that I'm dressed good? Well, I'll buy your van, and then you can get a new car. Don't tease me, because it's for sale. Everybody out there, you heard it. 1984, Vanagon GL. You, you've got Nathan's contact. No rust. No rust. <laughs> What's well, this handwritten question? Well, this handwritten question on the back, I wanted to add because when I originally posted our post, we did have a response to that. And it was from my friend Sarah. And she said, what was the pivotal moment where you turned your personal experience into something shared? And how vulnerable did you feel? And I think this is referring to music because we prefaced with that. So... When I was, I guess when I, I must have been 19 and I had played in bands, just background, you know, keyboard and doing a solo here and there, but that was just, it didn't really mean much. But when I got my first solo guitar gig and it was the stuff I've been working on, you know, like the, the chord changes and the chord melody stuff, when I... When I went in there by myself, I asked for a gig. You know, I didn't have a CD, and the owner said, okay, well, come in and play for me for like 20 minutes, and we'll see what you got. And then she's, she let me play the next weekend. She, uh, I would say that was, the, you know, the first gig that I got myself. And that's, that was the first pivotal moment, I would say. 
so how did you did you feel how vulnerable did you feel well very i guess like you know because you think you're good and and then somebody sits across from you who doesn't play music who is going to decide whether or not they're going to pay you for playing music that no one's heard before and so you realize that no matter how much you know or how good you think you are it doesn't matter because you're not paying yourself and not to make it sound like it's all about money because at that time it wasn't but it's very vulnerable you feel very vulnerable when somebody is making a decision about you you know i don't know if that makes sense that makes a ton of sense yeah i definitely understand that i mean because it's always their own opinion right it's like everyone's got one mhm and you could be the best there is and they're going to hear the tone of your voice or they're going to find out the color of your guitar yeah. or the I'll tell you the first the first gig that that gig I was talking about I invited my family, I invited my friends, everyone I could to come and they all came and it was a packed house and as soon as I was done I played for 3 hours two breaks as soon as I was done I went into the bathroom and I barfed in the sink horrible i mean just that that was a very pivotal moment i I don't know if i was sick because i was fine afterwards it must have been nerves but and i I never told anybody this by the way so this is a podcast exclusive but i barfed in the sink and i was in there for a long time trying to get it to drain down It, it was one of those one of those things where it just it was it went so well playing the gig and then that happened and nobody found out i was just like oh someone made a mess in there and uh that made me feel pretty vulnerable but it's a funny story now it wasn't funny then i mean that's the thing about time you know i feel like a lot of these podcasts not every podcast that I record is going to be published and a lot of them go into the archives. And I think that, you know, time passes. It's not as intense or as big as it felt in the moment. Right. And we allow ourselves to share things that we otherwise wouldn't share, you know? Yeah. That's true. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. I. So where can people find you if they want to? Look into your Instagram or you have a Facebook or I got website. all of the above. Yeah, tell us. The website is nathantown.com. Can you spell that for us? N-A-T-H-A-N-T-O-W-N-E.com. Boom. And then, uh, you know, all uh, Facebook, Instagram, it's all just at Nathantown. It's all the same. Nice. You know. Keep I'll, it simple. Yeah, I usually you'll find a picture of me with a guitar. There is another Nathan Town who plays guitar though. There is. Yeah, I think he's in uh, Indiana or something like that. But yeah, he also plays guitar. He's a he's older guy, but every time I like when I go to like renew my domain or something, and I check the website, you know the listings for all all the web pages. 
every once in a while he'll show up. I'm like, oh, there's there's Nathan. My you ever reach out to him? No, because what do I want to say? Like, hey, we got the same name. Yeah, cool. Cool. I play music. What a Nathan Town band. That'd be crazy. Whoa, that would be crazy. A duo, maybe even a trio. <laughs> yeah, probably a couple. There's another Solomon Harvey. If you search my name, and he has long hair, uh, dark skin. He does Ninja Warrior. No. Yep. You could do Ninja Warrior. Who knows? Yeah. Maybe I should grow my hair out. Yeah. Get tan. Nothing wrong with long haired. But, you know, it's, once you get long hair, then you think, well, I should cut it. Well, it's so funny because you have long hair. I got long hair. And I've been thinking about getting long hair, but it's just so easy to maintain when it's so short. Like you, you cut it short and you can literally run your, run your fingers through your hair and it's dry. Yep. I know. I'm jealous. But at the same time. You know. But I mean, it's a commitment. It's beautiful. Like your hair is down to your. Down to my crotch. Really? Well, when I bend over, yeah. <laughs> No, it's about it's about to my shoulder, my my nipples. Nice, give or take. I got high nipples though. So, is there anything else that you want to share with people out there in the world? Words of wisdom, things that you've learned. It really doesn't have to be anything, but anything that you, I guess, in my mind, and I should probably just shut up and let you say what you want to say, but. Like I just think of people that are that are interested in doing what you do, and they're just like, "Damn, no, no." I heard, I heard what you said, but I couldn't do it. So, you know. um, well, to those people who say that they can't do it, I'll I'd say they they're probably right with that attitude. You know, um, you just have to keep keep going and, and playing until you. Stop messing up. That's literally all you do. You just keep playing. You stop messing up. And I mean, the, the secret is you're never going to stop messing up ever. So just, just pretend like you, like you never mess up. If you pretend like you never mess up, then people are going to think that you never mess up. Very true. I think a lot of the times we want to stop acknowledge the fact that we messed up right the very acknowledgement of that is the first time somebody notices that you even right. made a mistake. like my girlfriend knows when i mess up because she's around when i practice she knows what it's supposed to sound like so she went to the, the concert and afterwards she says oh i i i saw you, your face did this when you messed up and everyone else was just like oh you know it sounded great and that just goes to show that there is evidence that i messed up somebody knows about it but for the majority of people they don't realize the mistakes so as long as you keep going so i guess that's in a nutshell what i want to share yeah but. cool man well thanks again my pleasure thank you thanks again to nathan for joining us today again be sure to check out the show notes to find links to his youtube videos and other social media outlets if you're interested in taking your musical skills to the next level learning how to read music and or mastering the guitar be sure to contact Nathan with the promo code SOLGOOD, that's S-O-L-G-O-O-D, and get $10 off your first Skype lesson. Whether you're a beginner who just bought your first guitar or you've been playing for several years, 
Nathan packs a lot of great information into his lessons, and I feel I can highly recommend him having taken a lesson with him in the past. It's really the follow-through and what you choose to do with it that's up to you. If you enjoyed listening to the show, consider sharing it with a friend or posting it on social media. If you're interested in supporting the work that goes on behind the scenes, check out my Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash Thanks again for listening. Hope you have a Saul good week. Peace.